Welcome to the Lawrence Steinberg Wealth Management Audiocast, where we cover market updates and provide commentary during this difficult time, specifically for you, the client. We speak to our firm's philosophy, our criteria, our strategies, and how we're approaching today's market environment. And by the end of the discussion, we hope you have a stronger sense of clarity and confidence surrounding how we're positioned and are leading through these unprecedented times. Welcome back. I'm Liam Card, Senior Vice President here at Steinberg Wealth. And today we're going to discuss the fears, the common questions and anxieties investors can feel when they're nearing or currently in the retirement stage of life. Investors work hard over the course of their working years, no question, to amass a portfolio large enough to support their lifestyle in retirement. And whether that portfolio is the result of disciplined savings, strong investment performance, a commuted pension, perhaps stock options, or a liquidity event, including the sale of a business or property, maybe even via an inheritance. It's quite common for investors to experience anxieties surrounding their portfolios at this stage. But information, preparation, and having a total wealth plan, we find can go a long way in alleviating those anxieties. So today we're going to discuss a few common questions and concerns. And in the process, we hope to reduce some stress and provide some clarity for our clients and listeners along the way. I'm joined by two of my colleagues, Penny Styropoulos and Daniel Thompson, both vice presidents and portfolio managers here at the firm. And I would encourage all of you to visit our website to read their impressive bios. Two individuals here, I should also mention, who have a lot of experience when it comes to this very subject. So let's get started. I find that one of the greatest fears among those in retirement or approaching retirement is that of running out of money and becoming a burden on family members. And the fear of that can make some people very uneasy about pulling the trigger on retirement in general. So can I retire is a question we get a lot. Penny, maybe we could start with you. How do you approach this with clients? Thanks, Liam. Yeah. And I mean, can I retire is very common question and concern really to any one of us in our age group, whether we're in our late 30s, 40s, and even the ones that are ready to transition through retirement. So often though, what seems to be like a simple question and what we should have as a simple answer is not that simple. There are a few different moving parts that we need to address when we tackle this main concern um, and question of, can I retire? You know, taking a practical approach to maintaining your lifestyle and looking at your standards of living is very important. And what I do for clients is what we I look at is really what you value and what do you want to maintain over your lifetime. And at the end of the day, it ends up being, you know, what are you spending? So regardless of the economic environment we find ourselves in, Clients in any kind of life stage want to know they'll be okay. And it all comes down to what we can control and what we want out of our life and anticipating any kind of unexpected expenses. Now, for those close to retirement or in retirement, and what we tend to look at is the first five to 10 years where naturally they're more active and they want to be able to spend more and enjoy themselves while their health is still intact. Now, what I typically like to do is push that discussion a little further and really address some of the uncertainties of if there is failing health. And the purpose to that is really understanding the strategic portfolio and how it can help cover off some of these uncertainties and really answer that question, can I retire? 
Now, looking at a few of these different life stage approaches, where we presume the next phase is of a declining health, what we can do is add some of those potential expenses that come up, like assisted living, or whether or not you want to maintain and live in your home for as long as possible. So exploring some of these scenarios tend to bring greater depth and meaning to addressing that very question, can I retire? Now, when we address some of these practicalities of life, what we tend to do is also look at the pivotal stages of retirement. And the number one purpose is, again, we look at these numbers, but we want to look at why these numbers are so important to you. So the strategic positioning of that investment portfolio within the total wealth plan is so key. I also find it so interesting when we do these, you know, a retirement analysis for clients, how important the input of spending is on that retirement analysis. You know, sometimes we could run the analysis and tell clients, it looks like you're spending too much. And often we can say, it looks like you're spending too little. Uh, You know, you can go out and go on that trip or take that cruise with the family. Penny, how do you approach spending when it comes to a retirement analysis? Well, spending is very much a, like you mentioned, it's it's a personal thing because we do address, um, you know, your, your, the basic spending needs of, you know, I want to keep a roof over my head and, and stay comfortable. But often what comes out in some of my conversations with clients is also what they value. And so do you value a certain level of standard of living? Do you value maintaining your home and any kind of unexpected expenses that come up or even planned expenses. Uh, You know, in the stages of we're building a family or acquiring our first home, we know that in our working years, we're going to have these extra expenses of renovations to the home or just ongoing maintenance or replacing the roof every 15 years. In retirement, if you want to keep that home, whether it be an actual home or perhaps you're in a condo or a secondary cottage or creational property that you have, you still, every 10 to 15 years, come across these extra expenses that you also need to consider outside of your regular lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So it is important to keep some of these planned, what I call their, their planned lump sum expenses. And whether or not you think at this point, you might sell your home in the next five to seven years or 10 years, it's still important to include those expenses in the plan to understand what that impact has on your overall portfolio and your and your standard of living. And with interest rates so low, I find many investors are left wondering and worrying really about where their return will come from. Dan, what are your thoughts here? That's a very good question and certainly a topical in this day and age, but this is nothing new and it's a theme we've been seeing for many, many years. I mean, interest rates peaked back in the 1980s. I'm old enough to remember that and have been going down slowly but surely since then. Then we had the financial crisis, of course, of 2008, when interest rates were cut to near zero, and in the following decade, stayed very, very low. And of course, global pandemic in 2020, and we're back again at practically zero in terms of interest rates or yields on on government bonds, be they short-term, medium-term, or long-term. So what are investors to do? This is not a new conundrum for the investor, but it's certainly a very important one for investors that are trying to earn an income to live off in retirement, be that income from interest income, dividend yields, or even capital gains. What are they going to turn to with interest rates so low? Mm -hmm. So what we've seen is we've seen a tendency in the last few years or even the last decade 
for investors to turn to other sources of yield or other sources of income, particularly the stock market. And of course, this has happened again in 2020. We've seen it recently where people are buying stocks, chasing dividends. Now, stocks and bonds are not exactly the same thing, of course. They have very different risk and return characteristics, and people should be careful what they're doing when they do that. Give it some thought. Give it, it has to fit in with their overall retirement strategy. You don't want to go way out on the risk curve chasing yield. And I'll point out another rather important fact, which is just take a look at some Canadian dividend stocks that have already been forced to cut or eliminate their dividend in 2020. Mm -hmm. So you end up with chasing yield, in this case, in dividend-paying stocks, and with a double whammy where the stock potentially is down tremendously in its price depreciation, and you've lost your dividend. So you're not much further ahead in a case like that. Investing in a portfolio of high-quality Canadian dividend payers that have a long history of growing and maintaining their dividend. An example of that would be the Steinberg Canadian Dividend Growth Fund, which does have a well-diversified portfolio of Canadian dividend payers and a long history of growing and maintaining dividends. A couple of podcasts ago, we did a dedicated podcast on this very topic, Canadian Dividend Growth Fund, with Martin Cobb and Lauren Steinberg, and I would encourage listeners to go back and listen to that. Another alternative for investors that are looking for income or yield in their portfolio and find that they're not getting it from traditional government bonds, Steinberg High Yield Bond Portfolio is an example of a higher yielding portfolio, yes, at a slightly higher risk rating, but a diversified portfolio of high yield bonds can provide that income source for retirees, particularly during periods of time like we're in right now where interest rates are near zero. And of course, this segues directly into desired versus required return. And I think it's safe to say that most investors compare their returns to an index or a particular sector, or worse, their neighbor's purported returns. Uh, and there can be a fear of missing out. But there's a lot of power in understanding exactly what you need to generate in order to meet your retirement goals. That is also in keeping with your risk profile. This is the process of setting and understanding your own personal benchmark, which is critically important. And Penny, perhaps you could expand on that. Liam, and this is where, you know, aligning yourself with an investment professional like me or any other portfolio manager here at the firm who understands your total wealth plan, but equally understands the impact of the portfolio construction and strategic asset allocation is critical. And here's why. So let's picture a layered pyramid, and the foundation of that pyramid is built from satisfying the, an immediate financial need, which in this case, we look at it as meeting income needs or meeting your immediate need of retirement income. Now, the middle layer reflects your desired and beliefs of um, some other financial goals that you want to achieve, and the top of the pyramid represents aspirational goals. Now, we can easily assign a required return to match the immediate need, which is income and retirement. And the top of the pyramid, we can say that the aspired goal is nice to achieve without risking the stability of meeting your immediate need, which is the retirement income. So that in turn becomes your desired return, meaning it's the return that you need to achieve to meet that aspirational goal. Let's go ahead and analyze the total wealth picture. 
and look at where your income would come from to support this goal. So what we do is we look at all sources of income. So we look at when you anticipate receiving your government strands of income. Do you have a workplace pension that's paying you in addition to what you have in your investment portfolio, whether it's within RSPs or locked-in accounts, TFSAs, or what you had alluded to earlier, Liam, is if anyone's got you know non-registered portfolios that have come from either savings or inheritance or a sale of the business. Now, once we understand where those resources are coming from, then we can capture how much more is needed to meet that need from your investment portfolio. Now, we capture that with a depletion rate, and that's typically the rate specific to how long your money will last you. Now, to satisfy this lifestyle need, the depletion rate becomes your target required return. Now, if we look at projecting a level of return to meet the desires and aspirational layers of the pyramid, we can then assign a target desired return, which essentially gives us the rate of return needed to achieve those goals. So it's that extra percentage that's over and above that required return. Now, many advisors will rely on program-generated results, cookie-cutter numbers, to place you in cookie-cutter solutions. Now, And very few will ask and consider your whole total wealth picture and take a practical outlook on what I consider to be very important which is in this stage in your life, are you willing and are you able to take on the extra volatility needed to try to achieve that extra layer of return? Now, some of you might consider the answer to be yes, 100%, I can take on this volatility and I'll be okay. Now, well, I'll ask, and what I typically find with clients through different um, stages in life and really things that just happen in life that may change or alter, you know, what you view or perceive as willing or able to take on risk. There are certain things that come into play and typically can reset your expectations on what you want out of life, what you want out of your lifestyle and what you want out of your portfolio. A few examples that I've come across and that I've helped clients work through are a few things here. You've just overcome or are still dealing with a health issue that's changed your perspective on life or your personal values, that's a very important one. You've had a pattern of habits or you know that you have a personality that can easily shift years and direction on your financial journey or your outcome of what you want out of your portfolio or out of your lifestyle needs. So that also impacts you know, how we approach and strategize around how we manage your money and how we manage your wealth. A few more here. You've lived life to the fullest while employed, but don't have the asset base to continue that level of lifestyle in retirement. So oftentimes, we find ourselves having that conversation with clients that we need to realign their expectations on the level of lifestyle that they're used to with their employment income is no longer the case when they decide to retire. So sometimes they end up choosing to actually work a little longer and start curtailing their spending to try to adjust for that new norm that might happen in the next few years. And the other one, which I find interesting, is when clients and listeners here often will tell me they keep BNN on all day and have developed a general disdain view of the economic outlook, and they can't focus on how their situation fits in the overall uncertainty. 
you know, focusing on what makes the most sense for you and ignoring a lot of the noise helps establish and helps us establish, and this is why you typically hire us, is to put together a strategic asset allocation, covering off more than just the general buckets of an asset mix, like cash, fixed income, and stocks. But what we really do is drill down on the strategies and specific companies and bonds that best suit your returns. And that that's essential. And on the other side of the fear of missing out is the fear of losing it all. And many investors approaching or in retirement today face a lot of anxiety surrounding headline news, as Penny alluded to, doomsday articles written by contributors in financial publications we read, and similar types of sky is falling communications in the media. Now, we just spoke about the power in understanding your own personal benchmark, asset allocation, and security criteria. But Dan, what can investors do to detach or separate the headlines from reality? It's a very good point, Liam, and I don't think I've ever seen it as crazy as it is right now. And I think my first response would be, don't read headlines every day. You know, Don't have CNBC or, or BNN or whatever it is on that TV 24 hours a day, seven days a week, because you're really not going to get much of value out of that. But speaking of value, I think it's more important than ever for investors to really focus on what's important right now, and that is valuation. The valuation of the individual investments evaluation of the companies you're invested in, the bonds you're invested in, whatever you're invested in, the quality of those investments, extremely important right now. We talked before about interest rates being near zero, and there's a lot, a lot of liquidity sloshing around in the world right now, a lot of money chasing short-term returns, et cetera. We've seen it in the last few days, couple of weeks, tremendous swings in these so-called high-flying tech stocks, et cetera. At the end of the day, what is the appropriate valuation of the investments you hold in your portfolio? What is appropriate to your own individual risk profile, risk tolerance, income needs, and time horizon? How should your portfolio be constructed? Another thing that is extremely important right now is if you've been putting off cleaning up your portfolio for years and years and kicking out those either losers or to be to be blunt or the high flyers on the other side and bringing your portfolio back into line to the way your asset allocation should probably be given your time horizon risk tolerance etc then this is as good a time as any to do it you've had a tremendous justified or not rebound in equity markets and bond markets etc no better time than the present time to clean things up to take a good hard look at what your money is invested in and make sure your portfolio is appropriately structured for the next five and 10 years. And of course, one of the main reasons that we invest at all is to beat inflation over time and to protect the purchasing power of our savings. But with all this money printing, I tend to have many conversations with clients these days around the topic of inflation, why there hasn't been any despite all the money printing, And what are the risks if inflation were to take off? Penny, how are you approaching this conversation with clients surrounding inflation specifically? Yeah, and that's that's always a uh, a topic that we cover and that we talk about, and I think more so now, given what situation we find ourselves in. And what I like to do is really take a step back. I, I do like looking at the bigger picture and not so much what's happening, you know, over the next few months. But at the end of the day we need to look at some of the variables that impact inflation, both up and down. 
you know, the two main types I like to look at is ones that really have an impact on the longer term trend. So one on a technical term basis is called demand pull inflation, which really we see it from the overall demand of goods and services. And typically inflation pressures increase when we see prices increase and prices increase typically because there's not enough supply to meet the demand. Now, while many economies right now have passed their lowest point in this pandemic that we know so far, and you know we are anticipating some level of impact for a second wave, the truth is entire industries like aviation, tourism, and hospitality will take years um, to recover. It's more to do with the unemployment and wages where we have an oversupply of labor and low demand for labor that will keep, at the very least, the wage earnings growth low for a long time. Now, having said that, if we look at a short-term basis, the fiscal stimulus in this crisis has maintained a higher velocity, meaning you know the governments were very quick to step in and start pumping in money into the systems versus if we compared it to 2008, the financial crisis, where I think it caught everyone off guard and it took longer to put together policies to help bolster the economy. Now, if we look at the short-term inflationary pressures to this degree, it's likely that we could see a short-term impact. Now, short-term impacts could affect those whose investment portfolios rely on rate-sensitive securities and different types of investments. Now, given that the interest rates are at all-time lows, those that are in government bonds, for instance, that are already earning less than inflation now, you know, I'd hate to think that if that's become your main source of um, income or a good chunk of your portfolio to help uh, balance off some of this extra volatility, there's no real place to hide if that's your only choice of uh, investment selection. So ultimately, it means being strategic and focusing on assets that are actually less sensitive to rate changes and holding you know, a strategy where there is some high yield bond, if it's appropriate for you, it protects income production and it's earning more than what inflationary pressures are anticipated to be. Not only that, when you're looking at your, your stock portion of the portfolio, it's important to choose companies whose operations and their general success is not directly tied to the sensitivities of the economic conditions. So what I mean by economic conditions is their success isn't tied to government spending money or the general movement of interest rates. Now, in terms of building wealth and building that wealth plan, we include the rate of inflation that grows with your overall expenses to determine that level of required return and long-term investment strategy. Now, typically we anticipate your regular lifestyle expenses to grow at an average of 2 to 3%. And for some, they may say that's a little aggressive. However, we find it to be very conservative because we would rather plan to have your costs rise quicker than what they actually are to make sure that you actually have enough and anticipate some of those volatilities and uncertainties for the long term. Now, Dan, there are always questions surrounding the RRSP or RIF meltdown strategy. 
Yes, to avoid a large tax bill at the end, does one pull more money from the RRSP or the RIF earlier in life, or does one stay the course not touching the RRSP and and simply taking the RIF minimum? And if we take spousal beneficiaries out of the question here, of course, at the end of the road, whatever's left in a RIF is fully taxable as income. But what's your advice when it comes to the, the meltdown strategy? Thanks, Liam. Yes, definitely a classic question and one that many people ask. However, one that I believe many people overlook because they think the answer is obvious. Of course, the obvious answer to most people, the common sense answer is, hey, anything I pull out of an RSP or a RIF is taxable. So why wouldn't I just simply take the minimum all the time and delay it as long as I possibly can? Mm-hmm. You mentioned before, of course, at the end of the line, the government's going to get that RIF anyway, because it's taxable when that big bus from the sky comes to get you. The answer is actually quite a bit more complex than that, and it underlines the importance of working with your financial professionals, your accountant, for one, your portfolio manager at Steinberg Wealth Management, another, and preferably the two of them working in concert and agreeing on the same strategy for your retirement that is going to maximize your retirement income, minimize to the full extent possible the amount of taxes you're going to have to pay. So the answer may be a little more simple than taking the RIF minimum out every year. It may involve balancing sources of income between registered or non-registered monies, and I include the TFSAs and that type of thing in that, with an eye towards attaining your long-term investment and retirement goals without taking too much risk, with an eye towards, and it depends on your individual situation. If it's somebody who has more than enough money to live on and more enough income to live on every year, and their principal objective is to leave a large inheritance to a particular beneficiary, well, that's a very different financial and retirement objective than someone who is trying to maximize the income they're receiving from their retirement portfolio every single year because they need that income to live on every day. So the answer is a little bit more complex. You need to call on your financial professional at Steinberg Wealth Management, your accountant preferably, and get those people working in concert to provide the right answer for you. And Penny, any final thoughts as we start to wrap up today? Yeah. So in terms of final thoughts, I mean, what comes to me is, you know, a great author and I think someone that we all have heard of and is pretty much a common household name, Stephen King, said there's no harm and hoping for the best, as long as you're prepared for the worst. And I think that rings true very much to, you know, when we're planning our overall financial strategy, our total wealth, and even our own just life plan in general. Hope for the best, but always be prepared for the worst. In doing so, you know, we're able to anticipate any kind of unexpected realities. So at the end of the day, some of the unexpected realities could be in the form of an untimely death, but that's also worth its own separate discussion for a different audio cast. For me, at the end of the day, it all starts with a conversation. Break down your needs, desires, and aspirations. You know, we set out a plan with both short and long-term goals. We understand where you are in your life stage and address the difficult phases of standards of living And really, at the end of the day, it's building a strategic asset allocation to reflect your current and future needs. So when you choose the right people to help guide your journey, you'll have the confidence to be comfortable in any situation. And Dan, any final thoughts? Yeah, Liam, one of the questions I get often from investors and retirees is, 
given the recent volatility and global pandemic and all the craziness that's gone on in markets, et cetera, have the fundamental rules of retirement planning changed in the current environment? And I believe the answer to that is the fundamental rules never change. And what was common sense a year ago is still common sense today. And one of the most dangerous things to say in investing or in retirement planning is it's different this time. It's never different this time. Mm -hmm. So it really is important to sit down with your financial advisor, your portfolio manager, your financial professionals like accountants, et cetera, and lawyers in terms of drawing up wills and that type of thing, and make sure that you are using, following those common sense rules of retirement planning. I don't think they've ever been more important than they are here in 2020, given the current environment we're in. They still apply. Penny, Dan, I, I'd like to thank both of you for the insights and the commentary today. And I invite anyone with questions surrounding today's discussion uh, to please call or email us anytime. All of our contact info is on our website at www.steinbergwealth.com. And we would certainly be pleased to continue the conversation on anything we touched on today or anything we missed. Mm-hmm.